thinkers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wu. I'm Michael Brandt. And we're super excited to have the co-founder of Teespring, Evan Stites Clayton, with us. So if you don't know, and if you've been under a rock, Teespring is one of the biggest, I guess, suppliers of custom branded t-shirts and other apparel. And I think they've expanded beyond just t-shirts now. Um, and backed by some of the best investors in the world. I think the latest count was over 55 mil from Andreessen Horowitz and Kozla Ventures um, and over a couple hundred employees. Uh, so I think that's interesting from a performance and a, a food for thought perspective where Evan you know, started the company not too long ago, three, four years ago before it really ramped up. And he's obviously had to learn as a individual contributor and as a team leader uh, to optimize his schedule and, and his learning. So I want to you know, invite him onto the program and, and, uh, and get your thoughts on, on, on that. Thank you both so much for, for having me here. I'm really excited to, to be in the studio right now, recording with you guys. I, um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've done a decent amount at Teespring. I think it's, uh, it's definitely some kind of a success story for me and my journey to accomplishing that has come with a lot of thought and attention to how I regulate my schedule, my diet, um, how I optimize myself. And I've definitely evolved on that front as the company has evolved. So it's been, it's been a good journey on both of those fronts. Um, yeah, I think that's one thing that I found interesting where like, I think we all spend a lot of our time thinking about how to optimize our companies. And I think it becomes very natural then to like project that onto yourself. Yeah. Right? Cause you're thinking about like, and I, you know, same with us, like thinking about like what positions you need to hire, what things can you keep optimizing? And I think it's very natural. I found I just haven't talked with a bunch of different entrepreneurs, different thought leaders that, Hey, they end up being super thoughtful about what they do personally as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's certain things also that go through you. Like there's, it's bandwidth constraint on you at a certain point. So the more that you can do in a day, the more that your company can do in a day. Yeah. And, and the bandwidth constraint thing is another one that um, I've tried to optimize over time. So, you know, when, when we first started, there was this clear bandwidth constraint on me, which was as much as I can code that's how much we're going to build. <laughs> and if, you know, if I can't code faster and Walker can't design faster, then that is just going to be a hard limit to what we can accomplish. And in some ways, that stage of the company, uh, the early stage, was actually one of the uh, simplest to optimize because I just knew that I needed to code a lot. And if I didn't, that was going to be the bandwidth constraint. Right. And if I did, then we were going to be building a lot more product. And so... Uh, back then it was easy for me to optimize for, uh, success in, in that role, which was just to basically code all day, every day, um, and do whatever it took to keep myself awake, to keep myself motivated. Um, and I, it was pretty simple. And then as things started to grow that, that question of how do you not become a blocker, uh, became more complex from like a systems building a team and all of that. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious, like, if you could break down the life cycle or the life of Teespring to discrete sections and, and how you thought about the business, okay. like, what would those, you know, two or three, four stages be? Sure, yeah, so I, I, 
original the first stage was sort of the the concept stage the, the generation of the idea and there was actually a stage of teespring before we even started working on teespring itself uh, when we were working on a completely different idea but the technology stack was the same the team was the same and i think a lot of companies sometimes go through that kind of the early pivots where you're trying to figure out what you're really going to do and um for us, that was building a student job website uh, that was what we needed at the time as unemployed students, but it turned out it didn't have broader market appeal that essentially Craigslist had already locked down that market and that by building uh, a better mousetrap for job finding, it wasn't actually going to open up any new market opportunity. And so that ended up uh, kind of falling flat. But what did come out of that stage was we really gelled as a team. We learned how to work together, especially Walker and I, just learning how we could complement each other's skill sets. Just you two at the time, or you had other? Uh, we had a couple other people involved okay. at the time, but some of those team members sort of uh, transitioned out or right. phased. But really, that partnership between Walker and I, I think, was what uh, ended up generating um, the Teespring as we know it now. Um, this is 2011, 2012. So this would have been 2010, oh, even wow. when okay. we first started working together. Uh, and then um, we got into a really good groove. And this is something I definitely believe in for, for any founders or anyone who's even working on a team is you kind of figure out what's my skill set and then what's my, my partner's skill set or my teammates. And then how can we really just complement each other and both be uh, the two building blocks that can build anything. And for Walker and I, that was essentially him taking over uh, CEO responsibilities along with um, front-end CSS HTML and then I was doing everything back-end and that balance really worked for us it just allowed us to sprint like if he finished a design then I knew I had to do code for it and if I wrote some functionality it was like it was up to him it was kind of the easiest project management <laughs> solution ever was right. basically just this mutual accountability and I think that's the best thing that you can get out of your co-founders or your teammates is if you can almost skip some of those steps of having a really uh, structured Jira board or Trello or something and just kind of like, hey, did you do this? Okay, well, I just finished this. And there's social pressure that actually makes you work more efficiently than um, what, will, what will happen in a... Yeah, no, those are like good old days, right? Where just like yeah. a couple... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it reminds me of like the one start of Nutribox and we're just like me and Mike just jamming on stuff. And it was just like, yeah, there was no Jira. There's no Trello board. It was just like, hey, I did this. I do this, do this. We're just, con yeah, it's like super fast iteration. Yeah, it's cool. And, and I think that sort of uh, pure creativity that happens in that, those early stages is what makes startups special. It's what makes new companies able to do things and come up with ideas that don't already exist. Right. Because there is a certain amount of... Uh, just sort of organizational gunk that gets involved no matter what as you grow and that's why we need startups we need small companies to come in and have that kind of uh, iteration because they'll do things that just aren't possible in a larger company context you feel like you're gunked up now I think that's like one thing that I thought a lot about I've worked at a big company so is Michael yeah. and I don't think like a Google or like a Groupon wants to be a gunky old company yeah. but it's like almost inevitable <laughs> that one turns into that so what was the what was phase two phase one is playing around and 
doing a system for jobs and then discovering, hey, we could port that over to Teespring. What, what was phase two? So phase two after that was we, we had been, we gelled as a team, but we had this idea that wasn't working. And then when we had the idea for Teespring, there was a light bulb that went off. It was everyone we talked to about it said that idea makes sense. We were selling shirts even when we had the pre-MVP, most minimal thing. It was so clear that this idea actually had momentum. And furthermore, we actually convinced an angel investor who had been working with us uh, but not hadn't invested in us when we were doing our previous company. And when he heard about the idea for Teespring, he said, I'm in. I want to do this. And so we, we had been grinding, but kind of grinding to nowhere. And then we transitioned into that thing where we knew where we were headed and the grind kind of went to a whole nother level. Right. You know, it went from the nights and weekends and kind of uh, part-time job slash eight hour work days when we've had the time to like the 16 hour days, 12 hour days, you know, five days a week and then three or four hours a day on the weekend type of just all out because we knew where we were heading. That was a really exciting time. It was, it was really fun to develop. It was also an extremely taxing experience to um, have to go through. How long was this? Which, How long was this like? I would, I would call that like a year, basically, okay. kind of, before we had our initial product done. And that was when I was the most in the trenches building code. Um, and were you guys throwing off revenue the whole time? It was just like... So at that, there was a phase pre-revenue, okay. and we were lucky that we got an angel investor to put in a little bit of money, so we were able to have an office, we were able to pay ourselves a salary. Right. That's something that not everyone has, um, but we, we figured that out, and so we were just sprinting, just trying to get this thing done. Um, I remember that back then, one of the things I did to keep myself motivated was I had this book, just a physical notebook that I would uh, write down every single day, and um, at the end of each day, I would write in the number of hours that I worked. And if I worked 12 hours, then I would draw a little X through the square that represented that day. And if I worked 16 hours or between 12 and 16, I'd put little dots in the spaces in the X. And so at the end of the week, I'd be able to look back. And I even now still have this notebook. And I look back and I just see all these X's, X, 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 thinking, Does oh it give you nightmares? Or you're just like, <laughs> damn, I, I was busting ass like during that time? Well, one thing I loved about that time was the simplicity of it. I and mean, those X's on that notebook directly correlated to features us getting shipped. stuff done, yeah. features shipping, building the product that we knew we needed. Right. Uh, and then we released it. And we kind of got into this, maybe, I guess you could call it a third phase of having a product we were really excited about. And then realizing that it actually wasn't that easy to get it to grow because even though everyone we had talked to said they wanted to use this thing once we actually released our product it was kind of like crickets huh like no one was yeah. no one was picking it up we were getting very very limited growth we had to go out there and pitch and sell and try to convince people to come onto the platform and we had a moment of doubt where we weren't sure if it was going to work at all that lasted for another six months to a year that was wow. like six kinda... months of just like flatlining, just trying to hustle like little yeah, exactly. of life. Like an article comes out, we get a little bit of traffic. Next day, it's gone. We finally convince someone with a blog to post something. Then we get like three days of sales, and right. then they're gone. 
um, but no one was really organically finding our site or using it. And so it was a, it was a tough time. And that was 2012. Um, during that time, it's very parallel. I would always want to jump in parallel. Like I think history for Nutribox for in the very beginning, right? Like you have like a nice landing page. You like you hustle bloggers, biohackers, like check our service out, write about us, yeah. little twiddle, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you kind of get a little heartbeat, but like it just fades away a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's like, I think it's, yeah, again, very consistent with like a lot of people's like struggles as they're building out their businesses. How'd you crack the nut? Um, it eventually came down to... It turned out we actually did have a good product and there was product market fit, but that we just hadn't reached the right market yet and people didn't know about it. And what finally broke us through was this tech blogger uh, created a shirt about Vim and the shirt went viral. It sold about 400 shirts. It was a really cool shirt. It said HJKL. And then somebody with a Facebook page targeting country girls and truckers saw this tech blog shirt and thought, okay, maybe I should try this. And she had a Facebook page with, I think, 300,000 followers, something like that. And she posted one shirt that said, I love big trucks, mud and bonfire and country boys and sold, I think, 2000 units. And this was off of one or two posts. Right. So back then, Facebook pages, you actually got a lot of reach when you posted right. to your audience, and it just exploded from there. So she made like 400K or something. She of, made an insane of, amount of money right. off of these shirts, and she was paying zero acquisition costs for these units as well. Right. It was pure profit for her. Right. Um, and that opportunity lasted kind of end of 2012, early 2013. It's an arbitrage opportunity at the time. It wasn't even an arbitrage back then. It was literally free money for anyone who had a Facebook page. Right. All they had to do was create a Teespring design that appealed to people in that page, post it online, and boom, they were selling. Yeah. They were making thousands of dollars. Uh, it, was, it was a gold rush. So a lot of people started doing that. And before we knew it, Facebook responded by um, making page posts much less likely to get traffic. Interesting. So by the time it was mid 2013, we were in Y Combinator. At this point, I was no longer um, really programming at all. Right. And I was just transitioning to like handling this crazy influx of emails. I mean, talk about. So you're a customer support lead <laughs> from CTO. We all were. I mean, okay. Walker and I would, would be online answering customer support tickets. Uh, every night and we had you know way more orders than we could handle things were going out late we were struggling to balance all of that while actually continuing to build the tech right but at that point it almost didn't feel like we needed to keep building you know our features because we were growing like crazy I mean we didn't need another feature right. we needed infrastructure and so at that point we invested a lot more heavily in building infrastructure that would allow us to scale what we had but it also became clear that the tech infrastructure wasn't going to scale. And that was when we sort of rebuilt the whole thing um, in Rails right. with a much better structure. I remember during that time where I would be targeted like, I am a Jeff, or like, I'm sure that you saw like, I'm a Michael shirt. Yeah, yeah. All like Teespring campaigns where 
basically like like little little like hustler entrepreneurs would start buying Facebook traffic, pointing to like their Teespring pages, and and make and make it basically just arb that opportunity. And that was the arbitrage one. So after the the page thing kind of went away, it turned into the Facebook ad game, and it was possible to target people based on the job that they had, the year they were born, their name, things that were unprecedentedly personal were suddenly became fair game for marketing. Sure. Yeah. And <laughs> Teespring was the tool. Teespring was the arbitrage tool to take advantage of these pockets of affinity that people right. had, whether it was their the dog breed that they had or the name that they had. And yeah. this that took us from, you know, that initial page Facebook page thing had kind of brought us to the level of success that we had imagined. You know, we had, um, we were having thousands of orders. We were thinking like, this is kind of when we started as good as we thought this thing was going to get. Right. But when Facebook ads broke, it took us to a level we never had even imagined. Um, and we 10 X over the course of several months. It was really hyper growth. Yeah. And I think the story was that like, you guys have made millionaires off your platform. Yeah, we've made, I think at this point, over 20 millionaires on their platform. Um, there have been lots of people who have made a decent income. And I know that my friends um, were selling those shirts, like you said, the, the ones with people's name on it. They were only doing that for about two months on the weekends as a side job, and they came away with $200,000. <laughs> so those are the types of... Uh, Early gold rush, like truly the gold rush. Really a gold yeah. rush, you know, before Facebook started to kind of not want Facebook to become shirt with your name on it dot com. Right. And they started controlling it a little bit more. Right. And kind of that's sort of where we're at right now. And then what was it what were the things that you did to capitalize on that once you realized that hey this is people want to make shirts for specific slices. How do we become the the go to product for that? Well at that point, we kind of just were the go-to because we were the only platform where you could do that with no money down, no risk. And we just started to build our platform more and more to cater to that use case, which meant analytics tools, um, co- connecting to Facebook technology. Right. Everything that these marketers wanted was really the focus of our development. And for a long time, that was it. And also around that time, we started to have competitors because the gold rush was you know, at that point, it's a market. It's no, exactly. Right? And so, like, oh, these guys are going like crazy. They're raising a ton of money. Yeah. Let's, let's try to eat their lunch. Right. And, and we, we kind of lost the advantage of being able to fly under the radar, right. which was something that we had, uh, definitely capitalized on earlier. Right. And we had people coming after us. Um, and so we built a lot of features, just the things that the market was asking right. for. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, it seems like you basically had like, like, like the dynamics is almost like a social platform where you have like influencers, like mega influencers, mm-hmm. and like a bunch of long tail, like less power, like not power users. Like, were you doing special handholding for like your millionaire, like mega affiliate marketing guys? I'm curious how you sort of segmented your sellers. Oh, we were doing tons of special handholding for those guys. We also had really big affiliate programs. Right. Uh, we still do where, you know, if, if a marketer recommended another marketer, then they could get a dollar for every shirt that that marketer sold. Right. And so we had all mar- multi-level marketing stuff going on and that, that really worked. I mean, that stuff grew our business. Uh, it, it seems a little cheesy, but 
it it works you know when you get that the right aligning incentives right yes exactly um that was that was really great for us so so yeah we did that we did all the hand holding and the white glove service for those users we developed we did a lot of our feature development um for that user group and uh it was um it was cool because it seemed like a clear thing to do but then there was kind of a uh a lurking problem which was that as much as we develop features for this cohort and uh, as much as we kind of had a, what seemed like a clear a mission, a clear group of users, we were no longer growing. And that was because the market was now being competed for and Facebook was now controlling the amount of these ads that would be shown reason, very reasonably, I think, yeah. on their part, not to want every single uh, Facebook post to be a shirt with... Um, that your dog's right. face or something like that. And um, that started to expose over time a lot of what was wrong with our company, which was that in the sprint of building this and getting it working and then having hyper growth and raising $55 million and spending lots of those millions of dollars, we had uh, sort of forgotten to pay attention to certain things like we had overgrown a little bit we had invested a little bit too much in areas that may not have made as much sense and when we were growing like crazy those things were always kind of uh They're covered up everything, yeah everything's growing like all those things are not problems nothing's a problem yeah and, and i started to you know i was focused on tech recruiting because my whole mindset was like at this point we just need to grow. We need to hire as many engineers as we can. We need to get a, as big of a team as we can. We need to start as many initiatives as we can. So I started going to hackathons and giving talks and going flying around the world to get invited to go speak at all these different... It was really cool. Um, <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, it was fun. And, but, but then um, kind of woke up one day last year and realized, wait, we're not really growing. And... I'm trying to go recruit all these engineers, but we probably need to address some more serious things about the way our company is. And I also need to take a look at how I'm operating in the context of our company right now. Um, We definitely got to a point where we had too many cooks in the kitchen. We had a lot of people who had a lot of ideas about how they could grow the company competing in that executive room. And it just became, you know, it went from that two founders just kind of having a real, a lot of clarity around what to build and jamming to like, you've got 15 executives kind of. You arc. hired a bunch of smart people and I'm sure their execs are all really smart people. Oh, they're with super their, smart with, with, their, with a ton of different of their own ideas and just like. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, that's kind of what you're encouraged to do when you raise a lot of money. It's the, the, it's the play, right? right. The, the VCs kind of say. All right, well now... But a public company stable of like 15-year experience people. Yeah, and yeah. Um, in some cases that works, in others it doesn't. When it doesn't work out, I think it can cause a lot of harm. And um, I do think that we, we, we were sprinting a little too hard. We, we could have maybe just taken our time a little bit more. Um, but when I took a look at all of that, I sort of saw my own role and uh, thought, why am I trying to be another executive in this room that's already way too crowded with executives why am i trying to recruit when um 
we may not even be working on the right things on engineering. I should just be an engineer. So I basically kind of dropped all the stuff I was working on from a management perspective and from a recruiting perspective. And I learned Ruby on Rails and started coding, started making pull requests last year. I actually had a manager on our engineering team who was helping me get better at programming. And now I'm pushing code every single day. That's actually like my role now. Right. So things have kind of come full circle. 